Hello, and welcome to The Staffing Show, the only podcast that delivers tools, tips, and tactics from the staffing and recruiting industry's top executives and thought leaders. This episode is brought to you by Staffing Referrals, the only automated referral management platform chosen by smart staffing firms. Tired of wasting money on traditional job boards? Sick of reminding recruiters about promoting your referral program? Wish you could eliminate admin work spent tracking referrals and scheduling interviews? That's where Staffing Referrals comes in. Imagine transforming your entire talent pool into digital recruiters on behalf of your company. Think about how happy you'll make your team by eliminating wasted time spent tracking referrals and scheduling interviews. There's a reason that Staffing Referrals is one of the fastest growing software platforms in our industry. It's because staffing executives want to scale faster by automating recruiting processes. It's because with Staffing Referrals, you can actually see an ROI. And it's because our world is now more digital than ever and your candidates expect you to keep up. Don't get passed by the competition. Stop missing referrals and start recruiting smarter. Get staffing referrals and improve your tech stack today. To claim one free month, visit www.staffingreferrals.com show. That's staffingreferrals.com show. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Staffing Show. Today, I'm super excited to be joined by Chris Conrad, who is the Vice President of Sales at TextKernel. Chris, excited to have our conversation today. Thanks for joining the show. To kick things off, could you give a little bit of a background on who you are and how you got into staffing? Yeah, thanks for having me on. I feel like, uh, what's the phrase? Like long-time listener, first-time caller. Yeah, so I got into the staffing industry back in 2013 when I was a new sales rep for Bullhorn and just haven't stopped. So since then, you know, coming up on 10 years, I guess, by simple math, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Tell me a little bit about what you're doing now. Like, who is TextKernel? What are you doing with the with TextKernel today? Yeah. So, little known fact, uh, when I joined TextKernel back in 2020, we were actually owned by CareerBuilder, and uh, I was brought on to develop a sales team for the North American market because we didn't have one at that time. We relied on the CareerBuilder sales team, and we knew we were going to get carved out. So, the arduous task of being a part of CareerBuilder during that period of time where they were rapidly like going headcount and spinning off companies. We divested in October of 2020. And so from that point on, we assembled and grew a sales team. And you know we're up to, geez, I think for total US headcount, we're close to about 20 employees now, which is fantastic. Something like almost close to 40% of our revenue comes out of the North American markets. So huge shift for us and a lot of growth we've had with TextKernel. And we've just been, you know, just on the street, we have a great uh, financial partner that helped us, um, you know, with uh, leaving CareerBuilder, uh, main capital. With them, they've helped us make some key acquisitions, invest in our product line, invest in our people. It's been fantastic since. So, and, yeah. And how, how big is TextKernel overall? Because I know you said 20 in the US, but you guys are a much larger organization, right? Is that? Yeah, we're about 200 okay. um, globally. Yeah. Awesome. So, what is TextKernel? What do you? What problem does TextKernel solve? Ooh, that's a good question. So within the staffing sector, we're primarily the search and match leader. So we are providing technologies that matches you know, cancer jobs, jobs of candidates, but on a high volume, right? So we really excel when you have really large databases, really large data sets, and really provide a lot of that 
capability, especially to the top in the market. But really, when you kind of look at this as a whole, we're actually the global leader in resume parsing. So we parse like something like 3 billion resumes a year. It's kind of <laughs> wild, right? So like most major job boards utilize us. Most major platforms, including Bullhorn, utilize us and all their properties. A lot of HR tech. Yeah. That's, it's wild. <laughs> right? Like, I was like, ah, how many people are in the workforce like globally? And, you know, obviously there's a lot of duplicates, right? Yeah, you know, I was say, like, there's got to be, you're, you must yeah. be parking some twice. Otherwise, you've got like. <laughs> yeah, right. That math don't make sense. Right? <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, so we do a lot of that. And so it's crazy. We're, we're really foundational technology when you're talking about the HR sector. We're a great search and match technology to corporate, but within staffing, we're so much more because obviously the whole business revolves around finding great people and placing jobs. And so we're so much more of a mission critical platform within this segmentation. So it's what we love to do. Awesome. Awesome. And um, I know you had mentioned that you guys also have some automation components and also have made some acquisitions in the last couple of years. I've known TextKernel for a while. These are some things that are a little bit new to me and I think might be interesting to the audience as well. Yeah, totally. Our CEO, Harard, has really kind of had his mission to you know, look for great pieces of technology that we can, you know, bring into into the company and really expand our, our you know, share wall within customers, really expand our, our footprint within different ecosystems. And we recently um, brought on a fantastic company called uh, Jabodi. Kind of weird name, but uh, yeah. fantastic nonetheless. Yeah, so they're also based out of Amsterdam uh, and they're in the Bullhorn ecosystem. They do can engagement automation and they have a fantastic integration with WhatsApp. So as you, you know, WhatsApp, not, not really big over here, but it's like, I think something like the penetration rate in like most Northern European countries is like 90%. Wow. Yeah. So it's, it's fantastic. We're, we've brought them into the fold. It's been like really synergistic. Their owners are just great people, super engaging. So we're, uh, and think about that. They're a small company, the speed of innovation. We're like, Hey, can you, can you add on SMS? Like, let's get some texting going on in here. Like, yeah, give us like two months. Like, all right, let's get this thing going. That's amazing. So, yeah, yeah. So we're, we're excited about that. Uh, we've also acquired a, uh, a back office solution. So they do time interpretation, invoicing, time cards. Actually, correction, not invoicing. We, they work with uh, general ledgers for invoicing, but time cards, onboarding. And uh, again, just another piece of technology that we see a lot of potential on and the ability to internationalize it, right? It's where we can, we see it's cool in this country. We see the building blocks. We've done a lot of analysis. We think we can take this thing and say, hey, let's bring to Germany, let's bring to France, let's bring to the United States, let's bring to Canada. You just don't see that with a lot of technology in our industry. They really kind of stay within their zones. You see them in the UK, maybe they come to the US. They are in the US, maybe they go to the UK. But like not a lot's going to Germany, not a lot is you know, coming from Northern Europe and going into the States. So. That's a big thing that we're focused on. That's awesome. And I, I didn't realize, I mean, I've always thought about the, the resume parsing as kind of your core and seeing you guys branch out. It sounds like you guys are a lot more candidate engagement side of things as well. Yeah. I, you know, it's, we do a lot in the HR tech side, you know, in that whole arena yeah. on the HR side. And what we see is candidate engagements really, it's huge in that segmentation. And it really hasn't moved as aggressively into staffing as what we have thought. I mean, there's a few players, obviously. You have Bullhorn Automation, does a great job. You have Sense, obviously, does a great job. But beyond that, there's not a lot else. You have Staffing Engine, they're making some great progress and what they do. Great people over there. But 
when you look at like the level of innovation, we think that there's a huge potential to really advance that within staffing uh, because so much of the problems that most in, most of the industry has is if you think about it, it's, it's around engaging with the talent, whether it's you know redeploying them, whether it's trying to once you realize you can't monetize a candidate that you stay engaged, make them feel that you still care, and you're still looking for positions for them. There's a lot of challenges that really, when you come down to it, it's, it's about the ability to stay connected, but to add value, you know, to the candidate experience. Um, yeah, oh, that's that's really great, and um, just kind of shifting gears a little bit, but when kind of going off of the text kernel. But you and I were having a conversation previously, and we've known each other for years, and ironically, are from the same same hometown, pretty much. Oh, it's crazy. <laughs> it was great. You uh, had brought up this idea of silver medalist scenario. And uh, it was a concept that I, I thought was cool. Um, and I thought maybe some of our listeners would be interested in hearing a little bit more about that, the idea and what that means from your perspective. Yeah. So, you know, the two cents of it is, is that the silver medalist is that that candidate that it's a great individual. They sound great. They're, they're interested. They're engaged with you. They want to they wanna work with your company, but they just ain't right for that particular job or maybe the, the hiring managers didn't connect. So you want to place them somewhere else. That's a big like uh, workflow or big use case that we think about at TechScreen. I was like, hey, how do we get that that next best person to find a job? We built a lot of tools, a lot of automations. Like, hey, let's let's serve up, let's try find matching jobs. So then you can say, hey, this is a great individual. Here's all the matching jobs, and we can take it a couple more steps there. And so when we you know we talk about this, it seems you know, and you and I were talking about it, it seems like a, a no brainer, right? Of course, yeah. why wouldn't yeah, you yeah. get, get place, this like, a person, great get this person right? in place, right? <laughs> yeah, but there's so many challenges within organizations in terms of ownership, right? And so we were, um, you know, I was recently working with a, a firm, and we were talking about you know employing this kind of workflow step in there, and again, it was one of those things where it's like, oh wait, well, how do we handle? ownership uh, of the candidate versus ownership of the job, right? Like who gets split on this and who gets split on that. And the technologies get to a point where we can auto recommend a candidate for these positions. And so it's a challenge for a lot of firms to successfully implement this because it actually kind of means like changing a little bit of how you handle you know, ownership or compensation splits. Because in theory, if you have a great candidate, we can tell you, you know, you know, five, 10, 20 jobs are all great matches and then give backgrounds as to why. Like they're a great fit because of all these reasons, right? Go yep. ahead and submit them. It is interesting. It's a little bit of a challenge for the unexpected reasons. Yeah, and, and so basically it's the, the challenge is that the agency doesn't want to take whoever applied to, say you've got 20 people that applied for this job, the second person to the runner-up, that recruiter now owns that candidate and the other job you're going to be recommending might not be it might be under a different recruiter. And so the yeah. agency, is, agency is basically like, hey, we we have a problem with this because that's going to change the owner of this candidate. And that recruiter is going to be like, even though it's a better candidate experience and it's mm-hmm. more revenue for your business, you're yeah. seeing agencies that are kind of holding back on on making adjustments or adopting because of the their internal processes. Yeah. And, you know, it's, I think conceptually, the, the leadership always understands it, but it's always the practical of being like, all yeah. right, well, how do we handle this stuff? Because, you know, you can have it where, you know, it could be a different delivery team that's working on it. At the end of the day, it's all about compensating people for adding value. But then if the technology makes it too easy, 
then who is the driving force of it? But it is a curious thing. And I think that, you know, as we think about the industry and, you know, I've worked with thousands of staffing firms over the last 10 years and they're all unique, right? The concepts are always the same, but like the way that they operate, there's always little nuances of how the business is run, how they handle compensation, all that kind of stuff. And that kind of leads down to how do you segment the data, right? You wouldn't think that a commission structure would be your driving force for how you handle your data structure. <laughs> um, but surprisingly, it does yeah. from time to time. At the end of the day, it's all about the money, right? So yeah. people are going to do what they're going to do. It's a different uh, or it's an interesting anomaly that you run into from time to time. I always find it amazing. And also sometimes at, at different points in my career, I found it frustrating when you see like internal processes getting in the way of what's actually best for the end user or the candidate yep. in this experience. It's like, what is the best outcome for the candidate? Like if you focus on that and just focus yep. on that and then try to get everything outside of the way, I think that typically leads to better, better business outcomes. But so yep. often you see the businesses get in the way where they're like, hey, well, this is how we do it. And somebody's going to get frustrated over here. And it's like, well, yeah. <laughs> so I think that's well, not, not I'm sure you experience that with your within your own business, right? Oh, like as you're a leader, right? There's always something that yeah. they're, you know, so everyone's always going to question like, hey, why are we going left instead of right? Yeah. There, there's a reason, but sometimes, you know, that reason gets lost over time. You're like, oh, well, yeah. maybe it's not the right way to do it anymore. Maybe we should reevaluate that. Yeah. And one of the areas that we also talked about is, uh, you know, expecting technology to solve problems, like you're saying right here. It's like, all right, I'm going to buy this technology and that's going to solve the problem that we have and yeah. uh, can be the case. But I think the change management component of it is such a key part of that. Oh, yeah. Any lessons learned that you've seen uh, over the year, best practices that you would uh, share with the audience? Yeah, you know, yeah, change management, right? Someone should, should teach a course on this one. I think it's this is the core thing, right? And you and I, like, we're always selling our technology. And at the core of our pitch is, hey, we're going to help you be more efficient, right? But then, you know, after we sign that contract, we're all happy about it. We always kind of have that collective, like, you hold your breath a little bit, being like, ooh, I hope they adopt this thing correctly. <laughs> yeah. um, and adoption is a two-way street, right? I've been a firm believer that it really starts at the at the leadership core. It's like so, you know, when you have a customer or your uh, director, VP, CEO, CEO, whatever it is of staffing firm, it's about making sure that you have the right processes in place. But then, like you're holding people accountable to that, um, you're holding yourself accountable to that, right? And you are making sure that say, like, you just not you know trying to solve this problem and then moving on to the next. It's like, hey, what's our 180 day strategy, right? Like, what are we doing? in terms of measuring the success, how we define what success is. I feel like sometimes like the, you know, you probably experience it yourself. Like, you know, the salesperson tells you what to expect, but you yourself as the buyer haven't really said like, oh, you know, what, what am I expecting out of this? Is this going to drive, you know, the extra placement that uh, yeah. the salesperson promised? Often not the case. Right. And how do you measure that? You know? So those are all the key things I always kind of look at and be like, all right, well, how can we help? How can we help our customers go through that process and, and kindly help them like saying, hey, if you're going to do this, right, you know, it, it's about ownership at, and also it's about leadership. I mean, we've, it might be a broken record on this one with uh, the podcast, but the, the number of times I've seen a CEO get excited about shiny new technology, and I have done this myself, uh, yep. go yep. out and buy it and then hand it to your team and say, look, and the team's like, we we don't need another thing. We're maxed out. Like we don't. That's not the problem we're trying to solve today. <laughs> so <laughs> I think the, the uh, 
the key is uh, you know, one of one of many things with the change management is like getting buy-in across all levels of the organization and making sure that you have general excitement around it. Cause if people don't want another thing and you're adding yeah. another thing, the adoption might not be quite as good as you want. So. Yeah. Siloed decision making, right? Yes. I mean, yep. as a salesperson, you love that, right? You have the one buyer, <laughs> well, you, you talk like to the, the first stage of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Well, you know, we're not talking about the adoption part, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, one buyer, hopefully they buy a really long-term contract. You don't yeah. have to remember, yeah. forget about it for a while. But uh, no, it's. You know, I was actually just talking to a rep today. So my guy was kind of walking me through an evaluation he's working on. And so the buyer, um, so it's a, um, it's a technical buyer, so uh, director of operations. So he's evaluating it. He's like, I love the technology. How do I sell this internally? So it's kind of strategizing a bit with Marap and I was like, hey, it's a fantastic opportunity. He's asking you, like, how do I build consent internally? And so this is an opportunity for you to be like a real, real coach and real advisor on how to best do because you could just try to strong harm him into doing a contract and yep. knowing that it's probably not the right way to go about it, right? The right way is let's build consent, let's build an evaluation, let's set success criteria. And if he's willing to listen to you on that, that's awesome. That's fantastic, right? Like, and then you can set the stage for a successful implementation, set expectations, right? That's like best case scenario. Yep. Typically not the case, right? <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, <laughs> it's definitely something that uh, takes practice and makes it and with salespeople, I think, especially who are hungry to get something done. It's like it takes some uh, discipline to step back <laughs> and make sure that you're actually validating and vetting things on your end as well as. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sure get the horse blinders on. How often yeah. are you in the saddle from from a sales perspective these days? I'm relatively frequently, so I, I get never got out of it, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you ever do. I mean, I'm sure at some stage you do, but uh, I'm not sure if you do fully. I, you know, a, a lot of founders are that way, right? They're like, yeah. no, like chief salesperson, you know, CEO, CSO, right? Yeah. Like any other hat going on. Harard, if I asked him to do a demo, like he he would be on it, like. It would like cancel meetings and like get onto it. Yeah. Um, you, yeah. you gotta hold him back. You're like, no, like you gotta, you gotta board <laughs> meeting. Uh, but he, he loves it. You let, you know, it's yeah. like, you, I don't think you can like, you, you can't turn that off sometimes, you know? Yeah. You gotta love that. Yep. Uh, one, 100%. The other conversation that you and I had a little bit about that I thought would be relevant for this group is we we're talking about Chat GPT. I know it's all the rage right now. People are, it's a, Big buzzword, but I think has uh, there's a reason why. And uh, you had some really interesting thoughts on kind of how to think about chat GBT. Honestly, you had a, a very different perspective than anybody else I've talked to about it. And I have this conversation quite a bit. And I love it. <laughs> so it's like I, dinner I party it, conversation now, right? I, I mean, it, it, I bring it up. I talk about it too much, honestly. I'm like, <laughs> I, I've been having fun with it. I'm like learning about prompt engineers. I don't know if you have you oh, heard there of you that. Go. I have, I have no idea how to do it, but uh, yeah. yeah. Somebody, I don't, I have not looked this up. I do not know this is validated at all, but somebody told me that prompt engineers, people who know how to write good questions and good yeah. strategic direction to AI are getting paid like 200 to $400,000. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but um, with that, let's jump, jump into what are some of the ideas <laughs> that you had? What's your take on ChatGPT? Yeah, it's the prompt engineers reminds me of like the like Boolean black belts, right? Like you can <laughs> yeah, figure out like a know, really I, good Boolean. Know, was that a thing? Oh yeah, Boolean black belts. Come on, I didn't yeah, even know yeah. that. That's amazing. 
That's what it is. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, there's a few <laughs> people. I, you probably might find like a LinkedIn profile every now and then with someone that says it. But yeah, Boolean, yeah, no, I, it, it won't die. That's, that's, that's a fact. No, but uh, so our company is heavy on R&D, right? As much as I love to say that, you know, we're a 199-person sales team, we're more like a, like a 20 or 25-person sales team, and then the rest is like, R&D and product and whatnot. And so I was, uh, you know, as, as we start kind of, you know, this, you know, chat GPT started becoming a big thing, obviously, um, in Q1, we started getting a lot of these questions in the sales process. So, you know, I had a conversation with um, our, our head of uh, research, uh, Mihai, incredibly bright guy. And, you know, the thing about text journalists is that it's, it's like the UN. There's like, I think, 36 different nationalities or someone that work at the company. So it's extremely diverse in, in that regard and a lot of PhDs. And so as we're kind of going through, because, you know, I'm playing around with it. What do I know? I love it. I'm like having it write emails for me. I'm having it work on presentations. I'm like, this is the best thing ever. Uh, I was like, so how are we going to, how are we going to start using this thing? You know, we're going to start using this thing for parsing and how are we going to start using it for, you know, skills, taxonomies and understanding where the makeups of, you know, jobs and candidates, which is really at the core of what we do. So as we were, as you kind of walked me through a bit, one of the great things about generative AI is that uh, it's creative. Right. So as you can say, like you can come up with like biography, you can make it like sound like a pirate. Right. I think that's a common thing that I've seen a lot of people do. Um, right. And you're like, okay, great. Which is fantastic. It's cool. It's all. But the problem is, is that when you are processing data, especially on volume, as it, there's a concept, it's called hallucinations. It's a real term they use. So I didn't it know will, that was I thought you hallucinate. Said, I thought yeah. you said you said Chat GPT hallucinates to me, and I'm like, get out of here. So. <laughs> yeah, what? Yeah, it's uh, it's on psychedelics. What can you say? So, um, <laughs> it's on it's on trend. It's on. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Right, so, it's finding its inner consciousness. <laughs> <laughs> it's still one with itself. Uh, so what it does is that it just it kind of comes up with something that's not there. It, it anticipates or. Well, I guess hallucinates, right? And so we start seeing it happening with resumes. It'll do this every now and now. Again, you know, has a high degree of accuracy, but it does it every now and then. So we and we spotted this even just doing you know low volume testing. And so as we kind of mentioned in the beginning, right? We're doing three billion with a B parses. Like, what happens if it's hallucinating? Just you know, a fraction of a percent, right? Yep. How do you trust that data, right? And it's not about incorrectly or missing something. It's just fabricating, right? So it's dangerous in that regard. So it has a way to go um, from that perspective. But there's ways of incorporating it to leverage the creative aspects of it. But we can actually give it, you know, we can supplement it with industry or domain knowledge and say, hey, listen, you know, so for example, things that we've tried out with this. So we have, you know, a a very extensive uh, taxonomy, which, a word that I feel like no one outside my company ever uses, but basically we understand all, all the correlations of skills and how they, you know, how they matter. Right. Yeah. It's like a word you had in biology class. Right. And we have an ontology, which is another crazy word, but that's a correlation between professions and skills. And so anyway, so we, we have all this understanding we, and because we've, you know, like 15 years of training on this stuff, something like that. And we can incorporate that and say, hey, listen, ChatGPT, build out a job description, incorporate these, you know, known specified skills that are for this job. And yep. then we know, you know, just how it can talk like a pirate. It can start interweaving in the different skills that are required 
for that job description without kind of going off on a weird tangent. Yep. Um, so it's a way of kind of keeping it in check. But uh, the other thing that we, we also look at, which you know you and I were talking about is because you were talking about how you use it for checking your marketing material, doing a little yep. legal review, right? Mm-hmm. Hopefully you don't have developers that are checking code with it, right? I'm, I'm asking them not to after our conversation. <laughs> and anybody listening to this, listen to this next part because this is the I I hadn't thought of this. Uh, maybe I should have, but uh, I mean, there's there's a famous story about Samsung, right? The yeah. a bunch of Samsung coders, I guess, were were using it to check code, which is does a fantastic job doing faster than a human would. But all the information you just gave to you know ChatGPT and OpenAI. That's their information now. And Samsung started finding their code showing up on the internet. So that's that's what also the, like, you know, open AI is not exactly open, right? So where's all this data going? So if you provide it, yeah, yeah, you provide proprietary information, company information, hell, heaven forbid your own code. That's their data now, right? And we haven't really sorted out that from a legal perspective of who owns it since you freely gave it away. That's a tricky one, right? The example I heard recently of a, a use case with ChatGPT that is scary. To, I I heard this and I was like, oh, this is cool. Maybe something I, I should look at for different things was, was the owner of a software company said, I want to train my team on this part of our software, but I'm not that great at training. Can you ask me all the questions you need to know about our software so that I can train my team? <laughs> and I was yeah. like, that's brilliant. That's a brilliant yeah. use case for ChatGPT. And I'm like, Oh, that guy just gave up his entire, <laughs> like all of it. Very innocuous, on, right? Like, yeah, oh, he's yeah, like, oh, yeah. how, you know, how hard could it be? You know, and he's probably given up like all the documentation. Maybe. Yeah. Story, <laughs> he's probably like uploaded all of the, all of yeah, the, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So like, be careful with using it with proprietary information because uh, now it's exactly no longer, now it's part of the AI. Yeah. Right. Well, we're starting to see laws come out. Right. So the EU is always ahead on this stuff. So, there's a lot of conversation about PII and, and how that's protected within you know this type of technology. Italy just outright banned it. You know that's so Italian. And you know the U.S. is going to get there. You know there's you know, we talked about this before. There's some weird law. You know there's the New York City came up with a law obviously before this um, yeah. about leveraging uh, AI for matching and and matching candidates. And it wasn't the best written. I think that they've delayed putting it into action at least twice now. Because it's supposed to go into effect in January 1. They punted till April 1. I heard it just got delayed again. And there's not really any kind of clear direction. How do you enforce this thing? Like what, yeah. what happens, right? And then who's it applied to? It's just New York City. So is it like a speeding ticket? Like uh, do I just ignore this thing because I'm out of state? But it's going to change. I think a lot of people are going to start realizing, hey, like we need to start getting out in front. I think we're going to see a lot of legislation coming out of various different states. Probably California first, just knowing them. Yeah, I think we need legislation around it. Uh, that said, I don't know what that is or how it, lo- what it looks like. Uh, but I, well, yeah. I, well, don't I worry. The, yeah. the people you elected who are very up on technology will oh, write yeah. a law that is clearly <laughs> tailored, right? Yeah, they've they got, got it this. down. They've got Our elected never, officials got it. Don't they've worry. got their finger on the pulse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're like, yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, no one understands technology. Yeah, yeah to check to see um, if you're alive. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and probably no lobbyists involved in that one either, right? So it's a crazy world we live in where the speed of it's just happening so fast. I was telling you this before that my analogy that I'm, you know, as I'm currently now at uh, visiting my folks, you know, the way I kind of describe it to it, it's like a Model T moment, right? It, cars exist beforehand. That's nothing new. But just the accessibility of it, that everyone can get access to this vehicle. Now everyone's driving it. Now you have a lot of cars on the road. 
how do you handle, you know, who's on what side of the road? Are you going to put stop signs? Like we need to have lots of places, speed limits, right? So the availability of this stuff of generative AI, because it's not just open ads, there's others. So the availability of it and the costs are coming down. And just now that you can have a download on your phone app, like, you know, yeah. it, your parents can be just typing away and they're asking them questions, right? You know, it, it has a lot of implications. And I think the accessibility of it is what's going to make it necess- really necessitate some legal action or some legislation. Well, and, and also, it's, I, I don't know what all it's going to disrupt yet. I know there's a lot of people that have thought a lot about that and have the ideas of kind of the order in which it's going to disrupt things. I saw, I, I wish I could remember the name of the company, but it was a, it was an education company that, uh, or like an educational Checks. resource. Was it? Yeah, or Check, right? Is yeah, it might have been. Was it the one that, that, that their like revenue is down 50% or something like yeah, that? Because, like closed up or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was basically like student, students are going to chat GPT to get papers <laughs> written yeah. and, not, and not to that site anymore. And it's like immediately, it's like yeah. huge impact overnight. And I'm, I'm we're going to see more of those moments, what they are. I don't know, but it's, uh, it's interesting. So, yeah, I can't imagine being like a, like a high school teacher right now, you know, oh, asking God. people to, to make a book report. Oh, that's probably too young, but like a, a history report or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Like, Oh my God. Like, how do you tell if it's plagiarism? Right. Um, that's the ability of generative AI. Right. Yeah. I and mean, then you can add, you can ask chat GPT if, it, if it's a, if it's plagiarism, but will it, exactly. <laughs> good luck. Right. <laughs> Oof, good yeah. luck. Yeah. yeah. So with that kind of jumping back, this is a good conversation around kind of the future of AI and where things are going. Where do you see the staffing industry heading in the next three, three to five years? What are some of the major trends that you see happening that are impacting staffing today with AI? Yeah. I know we talked about that a little bit, but what are some of the other areas? I think you, you were at the, the SIA conference in March. I want to say there was, uh, I was talking to someone who was attending the the sessions. Um, he made a remark about how they're still having there's still sessions about the digital transformation. Like there's still, <laughs> there's still people t- talking about digital transformation, right? Yeah. You know, digitizing records and getting out paper. Right. And I'm like, really, that's, I remember that from again, 10 years ago. The, the reality is, is that a lot of the industry, the way we see, it, we see some really advanced companies are doing really amazing things. They're investing heavily in technology. Um, and they're figuring out new and creative ways, you know, to, to automate and in different ways of, you know, changing their business model, their delivery model. And then we see, you know, a lot of, you know, for lack of a better term, like lifestyle businesses, you know, where maybe the owner just doesn't necessarily want to uh, invest a lot. You know, their business is doing great, a great uh, cash driver, but, you know, there really isn't an incentive to, to grow it. And so it, it's just steady, right? So these go, it makes money, they, they're successful. There might be a local or a regional player. So when we look at that, you know, I think we're going to see that, that bigger divide where technology is going to play a bigger role in deciding who's a winner and who's a loser. You know, one of the interesting conversations you have is despite how much recruiters are like the foundation of the industry, it seems that there is a desire to remove the recruiter or minimize the recruiter as much as possible. If I had a dollar every single time I said, like, oh, yeah, we could just, you know, so the recruiter doesn't have to do that, right? Um, or the recruiter doesn't have to engage with that person. I'm like, all right, well, what are you expecting the recruiter to do? You know, I think automation is going to continue to play a role in the sense of reducing workflow. But I think really at its core, what is the recruiter going to do? That's the question. It's to have relationships, right? At the end of the day, there's going to be candidates that don't want to interact with a chatbot 
or they want to be held through the process. They want to be coached and advised on how to land that job. I think that's the key role. I think everything else in terms of, you know, tracking data, screening, you know, onboarding, any kind of financial aspect of the business, that's all going to be automated, I believe. But truly automated, not just like, hey, we're going to take it from 10 steps down to, to five steps. That's my personal belief that it's going to be that slow trend, even though there's a lot of cool buzzwords out there. I, I really don't think most of the industry is going to latch on to generative AI just yet. You know, we'll see. My, my, my hunch. Yeah, and I, and I think you're, you're uh, completely right there. And I feel like the automation trend is going to continue the, uh, on the uh, recruiter side of things. It is funny. And it's funny that you, when you brought that up, that like, it's like, all right, well, all these staffing agencies, the core of their business, how they got here, it was having a great recruiting team that they love and that's family and that they care about. And then so many staffing agencies are like, all right, well, how do I automate all of that away? Yeah, and, right. And they and shut I, the door I, and they're like, yeah. all right, listen. Yeah. And I, and I, I, think, I love them, but yeah, yeah, I feel like the, the agencies, you brought up the fact that not everybody's going to be wanted, you know, want to chat through open AI. I think the same thing is it's like, when you look at the role of recruiters, it's probably going to evolve into like professional consulting, you know, it's like almost like a, a career coach, a consultant, some, something where you're actually yeah. finding value beyond answering questions about what job or the like salary, you know, and, and figuring out how do you create that more value there. I, I also, I, and I've broken record on this one with the podcast too, but I think so many staffing agencies could really benefit from thinking about segmenting their database or just defining like, here's who we want to serve and here's how we're going to serve them. Because most, if you look at like the travel industry or really any any industry, you know, people, there's all segments in every industry. There are going to be people who want to have a human relationship that work with your yeah. staffing agency. And there's going to be people who, would avoid it at all costs that work with your yeah. agency. How do you serve both of those models and let people choose the path that's best for them without yeah. being, you know, a, a insane processes around it? So, yeah, I, I totally agree. You know, it's it's funny because we've we've had these questions internally, and we've we've adopted a, a self service um, pathway for customers to buy. Uh, this was you know over a year ago when we made an acquisition of the Sovereign Solution. They had a great self service portal. We saw that we doubled down on it and added a bit to it. And what we learned was it was really fascinating because again, like we had the sales process where it's like, hey, you know, high engagement, your standard, like, hey, we're gonna high touch, we're gonna walk through the process. And then, you know, and then we had this other one where it's like self-service. And we learned that with self-service, to put some context around it, it was the ability to buy, you know, the the component technology and to develop on it. So if you're a developer uh, developer or you're building, you know, let's say you're building an ATS from scratch, right? You would, you know, use these developmental user uh, APIs. You can leverage, you know, the parsing, the skills, you know, the search match you can embed it on. And so we get these developmental partners on here. And so what we learn is that, like, one, a lot of people don't want to engage with salespeople, um, <laughs> or at least until they're ready. And so what they do is, especially, and these are developers that we, we run into. So it's, it's a personality type. So product managers, developers, CTOs, they don't want to interact with salespeople. They want to play with it first. So we give them access to the APIs, we give them documentation, they play with it. And then we interact. We wait for a period of time, and that's when we can add value. Because we learn is that they want to touch it first. They want to yeah. play with it hands off. And I was explaining this in one of our um, quarterly business reviews with our other department heads. And I was asking our, our CTO, or CPO, sorry, 
And I was asking him like, Hey, you know, do you like interacting with salespeople when they're trying to sell you technology? And he's like, I hate salespeople. He's like, I never want to talk to sales. Yeah. Just give me the APIs. And I'm yeah. like, that's exactly the type of buyer that we set up with this for. And it works perfectly. So we have these two different models where, where if you want self-service, fantastic, go that route. We're going to figure out ways to add value as a salesperson. You have, and that's a high bar, yep. not just selling them something, but you have to, you know, understand the use case and be able to, to give them additional guidance. But then if they want, for segmentations like staffing, for example, they want to be sold, usually. And so we have to have that track. I think that that's going to be something that the staffing industry is going to have to adopt more where they have the ability to you know, create a, a fast lane, if you will, or a low-touch lane, and then a high-touch scenario. And so allow for those different types of candidates. Again, especially if you're servicing IT versus, well, I mean, I think travel nursing, I think that's a low-touch. I have a buddy that does, he's a, he runs a travel nursing team. They don't ask a lot of questions, but when they do, you got to like, you got to be there. You'll get questions like, like at all hours, right? Weekends and whatnot. Whether that could be automated, I don't know, right? But uh, that's just a reality. Some segments need it. Some segments probably don't. Yeah. When I think even within, even within travel nursing, it's like, there's going to be some nurses who always want to talk to somebody and there's going to be yep. some who never want to, and like, just want to <laughs> yeah. get on, get me on my way. Those realities live within each vertical and figuring out how to manage that is, is definitely a key thing going forward. With that, we're going to jump to the personal questions, kind of the speed round at the, uh, there you go. what advice do you wish you were given before entering the staffing industry? Oh, oh, wow. I feel like I had this conversation a couple of years ago when I was like first came in, I was mentoring some people um, on it. It's, um, they're people, people. The owners of most staffing firms, the owners of staffing firms, they're, they started the company. They're, they're your classic founder. They're involved in all aspects of business. They, they love being sold, but then also they love to get intelligence about the industry. It, yep. it's, it's a small world, but like, you know, when you're talking to a lot of different staffing rooms, you probably have interacted with more of their competitors and counterparts than they ever have. Um, yeah. Because now them go to conference, now them talk to their competitor, or, you know, they don't yeah. have a lot of connection space. And so you can actually add a lot of value just by having conversations about the trends you see what's going on in the space, you know, how you can add that value. And they really, this, most of the CEOs and executives I worked with truly value that. And that's something that's really unique. I've sold in other sectors and you just don't get that in other sectors other than staff. That's great. Good insight. And uh, in the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Where'd you get this? Like a fortune cookie somewhere? Like... <laughs> <laughs> a tricky one. Um, oh my goodness. What have I done in the last five years? That's the best response I've had. That's hilarious. So. Oh, that's a challenge. I don't know. I mean, this feels, uh, feels a bit personal. I'm always about the last five years. That's probably not exactly fair, but I'm an early riser. So I'm a big fan of getting up at 6 a.m., getting going. I'm pretty routine oriented. So I'll have my, I'll make like a breakfast. I'll make like a couple eggs. Yeah. Uh, everyone always laughs whenever they're like, oh, what'd you have for breakfast? And it's like, you know, sometimes I'll make grits, sometimes I'll make, you know, pancakes, you know, whatever. But I think having that routine is important, but making time for yourself. I think that the older you get, the more you have on your calendar. I think the more time it's important to take some time for yourself, but also to think. So when I'm talking about taking time for yourself, I, I probably have my best ideas when I'm walking. 
Saul, you should try to carve out some time to go to the gym. It's like four or five blocks from my house. So a quick walk. So I'll go. But on that like short walk, I probably have some of the best ideas or I problem solve or I'm able to like think about and digest like what, what's been going on. Because if you just go in this world, like the Zoom meeting, the Zoom meeting, it's hard, right? You're not really <laughs> processing a lot of information. So taking that time, you can start figuring out how to add value as opposed to just being a face like yep. on a Zoom, which is easy to do. Like you're just back to back, you go on the next one, yeah. next one. And you don't really think about like, what you discuss? What are action items? Like, what's really the right way to conduct yourself? What's our strategy? What's our three to five year plan here? Yeah, that's a great, great advice. I feel like Yuval Harari, who wrote uh, Sapiens, one of his, uh, he says the biggest risk to humanity is us not allowing ourselves to be bored and think. <laughs> oh my God, right? That's so true. I mean, post-COVID, like we're just on Zoom meetings. I, so I have a, is a great guy I work with a lot and he was a partner of ours. This guy sets up not hour-long meetings, half an hour-long meetings. And so, and he's most states like book back to back. I'm just like, are you okay? Like <laughs> that many meetings, I'm just like doing the math. Like how can you, you know, you're, you're quickly, you're rapidly moving from task to task. Like how are you able to process like everything you've done throughout the day? And he runs a startup. So he has to, yeah. but I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, right, first off, are you okay? Like you, <laughs> you are you all right? You spend that time. You know, you gotta, you gotta take time for yourself. I feel like it's it's taboo in the U.S., but working for a European company, I see the other side where it's like, oh, like there's a lot of value in taking time off. You know, heaven forbid, more than five days. You know, I'm not advocating my team takes like you know three week vacations. I, that's a hard pill for me to swallow. But like, <laughs> there is value in doing that. Like, you come yeah. back so differently recharged. Yeah. So there's a blend. I think there's there's a way to make it to uh, make the work environment a little bit less toxic. Definitely a better balance than I think what we saw. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Last question I've got for you. Uh, what is the book or books you've given most as a gift and why? Culture Map. Culture Map. All right. Yeah. So have you heard of this one before? I haven't. So when I joined TechSernal, I found myself routinely on leadership meetings with... And so for context, I, I lead North American sales. And so I have a counterpart that runs uh, European sales. Stefan, great guy based off Frankfurt, Germany. But when I first started, we were a little bit more fractured. We had a you know a guy that was head of France, Stefan was head of you know Central Germany and and Benelux, and then we had another guy that was in Netherlands. And so we had you know it was a diverse set of voices. And so I could not you know like as an American that's only worked for Americans, specifically a lot of East uh, East Coast companies, right? I was you know had a certain mindset, and I, I remember I was talking to a good friend of mine. Joe Senior, and he was, uh, and I was kind of talking about the, you know, the challenges of some of these calls are just being like, I just can't understand like their perspective in some cases. And he's like, I just read a book about this. You got to read this. And so I, I read Culture Map, and it was like, so it kind of talks about like the different cultures and how it impacts the business climate and their business perspective. And they have like a whole section on the Dutch, which is great. A yeah. whole section on the French, and and so. Yeah, it, it's it's really good, right? And yeah. so then, like, you could start figuring, like, okay, like, here's how they see it. Here's how they see the world, right? Everyone has their, their different lens. Yep. Right. And once you realize that and you kind of get out of yourself, it was super helpful. And it really helps you, you know, that kind of change perspective allows you to kind of think differently and say, hey, I'm not thinking locally, I'm thinking globally. How can we be a better company? How can we operate? Like, 
I hear what you're saying. This is fantastic. You know, let's, let's try to incorporate and come up with good shared ideas. And it was foundational for me. Super helpful. That's great. That's a great book recommendation. New one, new one for me. So with that, any closing comments for the audience? Anything else you'd like to share? No, no, I just, uh, small world. I can't believe we're, we're both from the same area in, in, Davenport, in, Iowa. in born, Iowa, both, right? Both born in Davenport, Iowa. Are you born there yeah. as well? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually, no, technically it's uh, Dubuque. All right. Uh, so, but I moved, you know, when I was a kid, like six, you know, so yeah, yeah. close enough. But, uh, I, I think uh, I love being on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me on a long time. And we've been talking about this for, I feel like forever now. So hopefully yeah, we're uh, like a year deep on it. So it's, it's nice to finally get, finally, finally connect right. on it. Yeah. Schedules, right? Uh, yeah. they're, they're no joke, but yeah, man, excited to be on here. Thank you. Uh, and I look forward to seeing you at the next conference, right? This Absolutely. is where we all get to hang out now as, uh, as adults. <laughs> that is that is it that is it so <laughs> have a good one thanks so much for joining really appreciate right. it talk to you soon thanks for listening to the staffing show don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at staffinghub.com to never miss an episode until next time